uh, Matthew chapter 3, talking about John the Baptist. He's going to tell the world about Jesus. Now remember, there's many false messiahs that have come along. And John's going to be the introducer of Jesus to the world. So if you would, stand for reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of the, by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan went out to him, and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is the word of God. Well, that was good. About 70% of you got it. So let's try it, one, try it one more time. This is the Word of God. Thanks. Oh, yes, with fervor. Please be seated. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together as the body of Christ. We thank you that we have people that can teach us how to navigate through these waters of life. And we are thankful for John the Baptist. We're going to learn about him today, Lord. Now, he addressed his culture during his time. And may we glean from him how we some of the things that we're dealing with today in our lives. Thank you for this time together. Holy Spirit, open our spiritual eyes, our ears to the things of the Spirit. Teach us what you want us to know today. In Jesus' name, amen. John the Baptist. Actually, the theme of Matthew is this. Jesus is the promised king. And again, there's the connection in the Old and the New Testament. 400 years no word from God, and then boom, when the fullness of time came, God sent a son. You remember the significant things. We had kingdoms that came into place, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. The two significant ones were Greece and Rome. In Greece, we had Alexander the Great conquer the known world in record-breaking time. And he spread what is known as Koine Greek, or common Greek throughout the entire world. There was a language that was unique to all the population that everybody could identify with. Koine Greek, common Greek. It's a word where we have our, it's where we get our word koinonia, or fellowship. And what that actually means is we have something in common as the body of Christ. What do we have in common? We've all been born again of the Spirit. We are all children of God. We are all the bride of Christ. We are all to be obedient to our Lord and following Him and doing the things that He has taught us to do. And then we are to gather together as you are doing today to, to worship Him and praise Him and learn about Him and be refueled for your week. We have these things in common. Alexander the Great spread this Greek language throughout the, no the known world. Koine Greek. Not classical Greek. 
Classical Greek was for the aristocrats, was for the kings, was for the uppity-uppities. Common Greek was for the normal person like us, normal people. That tells us something, that Jesus loves kings and queens and princes, but no more than he loves the common people, at least how this world sees the common people. He holds us all on the same level. This tells us about God is, God is not a respecter of persons. The common language. And then, and then from Rome, we had a road system. Remember, it was the Pax Romana. The Pax Romana. And spread throughout the world was, the, was, a, was a road system. 200 years, there was peace in Rome. And that facilitated the, the spread of, the, of this, this massive uh, transportation system. And I have a picture here for you. Just to give you a little illustration, this is the road system that's going to be created. So I want you to, to, to the next picture is going to be an actual Roman road. Now I want you to notice that this road is still in place. It, it, look, at the, look at the engineering. This is an engineering marvel, okay? Now I want you to look at the next slide, which is a road in Michigan after about five years. <laughs> Technology. Technology. This is what, I mean, isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing? A road system, a language system. You know that in the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a virgin in Galatians 4.4. The fullness of time, the perfect time, road system, language system. And now he's going to have at the perfect time, John the Baptist enter the world. Enter the world. He's going to introduce the world to Jesus. And he starts out with his message of, Repent, repent, repent. Verses 1 through 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Now notice he didn't go to Jerusalem. Notice he came to the wilderness of Judea. He didn't go to Jerusalem. He didn't go to the big cities. He went to the wilderness and the people came to him. The Spirit of God was drawing and saying, repent, that was his message. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do you know that kingdom of heaven is a word usage only used in Matthew. It's the kingdom of God and the other, other, other gospels. Why is it so? Because this is written to the Jews, and the Jews have such a high honor for the name of God, they will not say Yahweh or Jehovah or something like that. So they, he says the kingdom of heaven, they use the name Hashem, the name, ha the Shem, the name. That's how the Jewish people will address God, the name. They have such reverence for him. For this is he who was spoken of old by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Make his path straight. Now you need to know a little bit about John the Baptist, okay? You probably know some, some of this. He's the cousin of Jesus, and I would suggest to you, he probably knew Jesus pretty, pretty well. Probably knew him pretty good. His father's name was Zechariah. Remember, he was the priest. He was told by Gabriel, You're going to, your wife Elizabeth is going to have a son. And she, he's saying impossible. She's way too old. It's another Abraham moment. And what did, the, what did Gabriel do? He says, okay, you won't be able to speak until the son is born. Then Mary was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. She went to visit Elizabeth, her cousin. Both of them had something unique in, in common. Elizabeth had an impossible birth, but it was a normal birth. Way past age. And she birthed John. And Mary had the Immaculate Conception. She was birthed by, by the Holy Spirit, impregnated by the Holy Spirit. Both of them had unique babies. Both of them with a mission. Jesus would be the Messiah, 
and John would be the forerunner to Messiah. John was filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. God had him prepared to do his calling from the womb. Chosen by God, empowered by God, called by God to do what God had, had mandated for him to do. And this is an interesting fact. Do you know that at all these guys, all these disciples and all these people that were with Jesus, John did no signs. He did no miracles. He didn't do anything to, to impress the populace with miracles. He used his words and he used them mightily. He was very popular. We see that in Matthew 3, 5, where the people were just going to him in droves, in droves. John's popularity, however, did not go to his head. Did not go to his head. Now, look, at it is easy for humans when they get on a stage to have things go to your head. It is very important that you remember your place in God's order. Okay? And you are not the top. You are not at the, you're not the pinnacle. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe a whole bunch of things under there before it hits you. But watch this. This is what happens oftentimes when we get a big head. Oh, we think we're so great and wonderful. And we know that today on social media, there are certain people that have big heads. So we know this guy right here who tries to censor you. We know about being censored. Censored. Yes. Censored. Social media. John knew his place. He came as a witness in John 1.7. He came as a witness to bear witness to the light that all through him might believe. John was not the main attraction. He made sure everything went towards Jesus. Took none of the glory upon himself. That is so important, particularly in ministry. Something we all must remember. It is not about us. This world is not about us. It is about us serving our King. Being being conform to the likeness of Christ, serving the Master. Be careful about stealing the glory. Be careful about attracting attention to yourself. And remember, your flesh, your, the unredeemed part of you that you fight with every day to do right, that guy wants center stage. We call that person King Baby. King Baby wants all the attention. You have to catch yourself stealing the glory. We look, a lot of, we look after attaboys. Well, John was not looking for attaboys. John knew exactly who he was. In John chapter 1, verse 20 through 23, John the Baptist would not steal the glory. Watch, what, watch the dialogue. He, of John the Baptist, did not fail to confess, but confess freely, I am not the Christ. He had to tell all these leaders that were coming out there, he is not the Christ. Remember, when someone was pointing, someone claimed to be the Messiah, John is pointing to the Messiah, the bigwigs from Jerusalem would have to go out and examine to see if this person met the criteria for being the Messiah. So John is introducing him, and he's being confronted by the Pharisees. They ask him, who are you? Are you Elijah? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you a prophet? He said, no. Finally, he said, finally they said in frustration, well, who are you? And he's going to give us an answer to take back with us to Jerusalem from those who sent us. They have to give a report. What do you say about yourself? And John replied these words, I am a voice of one calling in the desert, make straight the way of the Lord. You know what John was? The same thing that we are. 
an introducer of people to Jesus, a forerunner of Jesus, a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our job description today. Ladies and gentlemen, that is who we are today. We are to go and tell. Go and tell. Now, what did Jesus think about John? Well, Matthew chapter 11, verse 11 says this, Among those born of women, there is none risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. He held him in high esteem, John the Baptist. Folks, you know it's never been easy to be a witness in this world. Never. The entire world system is against you. They want you to keep your Jesus to yourself. Keep your Jesus to yourself. What they don't understand is we can't. We can't. We have a mandate from our God to go and tell. Go into the world. Tell everybody about Jesus. Making disciples of all nations. That, that is what we are to do. What did John do? He told the people about Jesus. Now this is important. It wasn't about how John looked. It wasn't about his looks. He was wild-eyed. Okay, he was a little bit strange. It was not about being politically... John used his words, and so must we. Now, why am I emphasizing this? For this reason, there are many people that we, we talk about oftentimes in Christendom, lifestyle evangelism, which I think is important. You should look like a Christian, act like a Christian, smell like a Christian, be a Christian, okay? So people can tell that you're different. But that's not what's going to win people. That gets their attention. St. Francis of Assisi is credited with saying these words. Nobody knows if he really said them or not, but he's the one that's been ascribed to. Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Amen. Now, I want to suggest to you something. Let me give you an example. You're in the workplace. You have a really good Hindu guy. Everybody likes him. He's got morals and values. And you got this Muslim that is next to him. And he's a great guy too. And morals and values. And next to him is an atheist. And everybody loves him too. And he's got values and morals. And then there's a Christian with values and morals. Now, if the Christian doesn't speak up, people are going to think that everybody is the same. That all these roads are the same. No, no. We are to use our words. Use our words. What does looking good leave people? Good and lost. Good and lost. People are not saved by looking at your life. That gets their attention. That is an important aspect of this. But no, they are saved by believing the gospel message shared with them. And we must have the courage to share the message. Now, oftentimes people will say, well, I'm just demonstrating my life. And that's my witness. No, that is not what you are told to do. You are told to go and tell. That's a, a side note of you being a Christian is your life. But it's your words that we must use to tell people about Jesus. That, it, the whole, they go together. Both are important. You can't live like the world, sound like the world, smell like the world, and tell people about Jesus, okay? You have to be walking this walk so you get people's attention. What was John's message? It was loud and clear, couldn't be clear. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John to an apostate nation. Remember, the nation was far from God. And now he's bringing them back to the true God. Repent, repent. 
That word is metaneo. And it means a change of heart toward God. A change of mind towards God. Now look at it. If my heart is changed, my mind is changed, where is the direction of my life going to go? Towards God. That's right. It's going to be changed. I'm going to be walking in a different way, a different, different manner. Now I have something here that I think is important. It's SOS America. Do you know what SOS means? Save our ship. It's going down. It's a cry for help for disaster. The ship is going down. SOS America. For all humanity, to anyone far from God, SOS repent. Save us. We're going down. Repentance is absolutely necessary. And get serious about it. There's an urgency to this. Now let me ask you this question. Now you know a little bit about John. Do you think that he was standing out there in the desert going, repent, repent, oh please repent, repent. No, I think that John says repent for the king. There's some passion there. There's some inner guts that are going out. He belted it out. John was preparing the way. John's job, our job in a world running from God, running from the true God is to prepare the way of the Lord. Now, I've said this many times. This is not a time in America for sheepish Christians, silent Christians, wimpy Christians. This is a time for men and women of God to stand, to stand, to get serious about their faith. Do not allow the culture to shut you down or silence you or intimidate you. With Holy Spirit conviction and courage, tell them about the real Jesus, not the make-believe Jesus that's going around. Tell them about the Jesus in the Bible, the one that can save you, not the one that's going to give you everything that you want. It's not about here. Now, there's benefits to being a Christian. I would, I would grant that. There are benefits. I think we're blessed for being a Christian. I think God takes care of his kids. He takes care of his people. But it is not about this world, folks. And there's too many Christians that are anchored here and, 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 and are, are afraid to be different than the rest of the world. Have an attitude. You've got to have an attitude in this culture. Have an attitude of this guy. Now, I used to have the bull. Okay, I'm changing it. I'm changing the bull. I will not be moved. Okay? This is not a time for wimpy, sissy Christians. This is time for men and women of courage to speak the truth. Now, how do we do it? In love, in love, in love, in love. John the Baptist was screaming, Brood of vipers! I would suggest we not do that. <laughs> that we do this in love. That's the Christian way. John didn't get the memo yet. So, the Christian way. So, John was weird, okay? We would grant, grant that. He was popular. In verses 4 through 6, we'll see his popularity. Now, John himself... Now, watch his... Watch his he, this guy is not one iota attached to the world. He could care less about style. He doesn't care anything about this world. John himself was clothed in camel's hair. It is even weird then. With a leather belt around his waist. And watch what his diet is. This is an amazing thing. Locust and wild honey. Now, now just for your information, locusts are 60% protein. The beef that you eat and the chicken that you eat are about 20% protein. And this is date honey. 
Now, this also tells me he wasn't into the delicacies of the world. Now, I have to believe that John had to every now and then eat something different than this. But this is telling us that this man was not connected to this world. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan. Notice the impact of this man who did no signs, did no miracles. They're going to hear what he has to say. Went to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing, confessing their sins. John was popular, and I think you will agree with me. Well, some of you, will, well, a very few were, who were in the 60s, <laughs> okay? If you were born and you went through the 60s, you were counterculture. And you looked a little different. And you looked a little weird compared to what your parents thought you should be. That was John. Counterculture. He didn't look anything like the religious people, like the Sadducees and Pharisees. John did not fit the mold of a religious person. He wasn't quite popular. Now, this is an artist rendition of John. He's, 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 he's always looks a little strange. He's never combed his hair a day in his life. Never trimmed his beard. I don't know if he used deodorant or not. I hope he did. <laughs> but I mean, this, this guy was definitely weird. And this guy's wondering, what is in the world is this guy all about? But he's listening. He's listening. They're listening. They're listening to John the Baptist. I would say this, calling all Christians, calling all Christians, careful judging by appearance. This is common. And I can tell you, Guilty as charged. I don't know about you. Now, let me, let me ask you this. They thought John looked weird in his day. How do you think people view us today? A little weird. A little off our rocker. A little, little different. A little different. Yet people flocked to John. They went out to him. Why? And I would suggest to you the Spirit of God must be drawing them. Okay, there had to be that aspect of it. But he had something different. He had a message that started to spread. This guy isn't saying anything like the religious people. He's not, they're not saying anything like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He is so different. He looked a little crazy, but people were drawn to him. And when they heard him speak through the power of the Spirit of God resonating through him, remember he was filled with the Spirit from the womb. And this, remember that filled is the word palero. We get filled with the Holy Spirit from time to time. An overflowing of the Holy Spirit. That was just pouring out of John into the world around him with power, with power and effectiveness. And when they heard him speak, they were hooked. They repented. They were baptized. They were changed. Then they were ready to follow Messiah. They were ready for him. John was different. John was weird, but also hear this. John was not politically correct. Verse 7 through 10. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers, venomous snakes, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Remember, they, they're the religious elite. They don't need to repent. But John is hitting him right between the eyes. Oh, yes, you do. And do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And watch what he says here in verse 10. He hits these religious elites right between the peepers. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. 
Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, saying it specifically at the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious elites. Now, who are the Pharisees? Who are the Sadducees? Well, the Pharisees were the legalists, the strict enforcers of the law. If you don't do it this way, you're in trouble. And by the way, they added to the law, and they added to the law, and they added to the law, and it made it cumbersome and was weighty for the people. Legalism always does this. This is what a Pharisee kind of looks like. They're, they're always pointing at you. Does this look like a happy face? Is this something you're going to be drawn to? No, this is something I'm running from. Run! You know, they had a song a few years ago, well, a few decades ago, called the Do Run Run. The do run, 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 the do run, run, the boom, boom. That's what I'd be doing. Run from that. But the Sadducees, they were more pitiful. They were more pitiful. They didn't believe in the supernatural. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in angels. Well, what's the point in being a Sadducee? So this is how these guys look. Sad. Just sad. I mean, just the pitiful. That's why they're sad, you see. Sad. Sad. <laughs> You've heard that before. Sadducees, yes. But Pharisees, another interesting point is, the Pharisees and the Sadducees did not like one another. They hated one another. They were fighting with one another. But they were united in a common cause. And what was that cause? To stop Jesus at all costs. Stop Jesus at all costs. Do you know that today, in Islam, you have Sunni and Shiite, there's 80% Sunni, 20% Shiite, and they hate one another. They hate one another's guts, but they are united in a cause. They hate Israel more than they hate themselves, and they hate Christians, Israel and Christians. So they're united in a common cause. John did not mince words, yet the people came to him in droves. The, to the religious people, keeping people from Jesus, he says this, brood of vipers, repent. And, and again, this is not language of how you win friends and influence people. This isn't how the world does it. Oh no. This was not politically correct. John came speaking the truth. Most people in our world, particularly in, quote, Christendom, will gather around them teachers to tell them what they want to hear. You know what that really means? That I can have a little bit of Jesus and I can still have my idols. I can still have the stuff of this world. So you'll look for someone to validate that, that belief system. And it's all over the place in the West. It's all over the place in the West. Validating. What did, what did Paul tell Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4? He says, preach the word, Timothy. Caruso, Timothy. Herald the truth, Timothy. Preach the word. Be prepared, Timothy. In season and out of season to correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful understanding. For the time will come, Timothy, when they will not put up with sound doctrine. Oh no, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. That's what we have in the West today. That would be Australia. That, that would be Canada. That would be America. When you get into South America, where it gets poorer, they have more of a revival type thing going on. But in the West, the modernized world, 
oh, we have a sanitized Jesus, a sanitized Christianity, a, 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 a Christianity that tells you what you want to hear. That's what you have. John was not liked by the Jewish leaders. He was not liked by Herod. Remember, he confronted Herod over having his Philip, Philip's his wife Herodias as his mistress or as his wife. He just took her. And John confronted that. He wasn't liked by Herod. He ended up in prison for it. And eventually had his head cut off. He wasn't liked by the, the, by the religious leaders, by the Jewish leaders, by the Roman government, by Herod. Today, social media would censor him. You know that, don't you? They would censor him. They would call him names. They would call him a, a ferrophobe. <laughs> a sagophobe. You're a phobe. YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, university professors, all the stations on TV would shame him. And I have a question for you. Do you think that would have moved John one iota? Good. I Hopefully you remember the world doesn't like us either. They don't like our message and it must not move us from the centrality of that message. And again, we are to do it with gentleness and respect, but we cannot compromise the message, folks, because it's easy. No, we don't want to do that. Anyone, watch what Paul says, anyone keeping people from the true Jesus must be exposed as John did. Ephesians 5.11, Paul speaking, have no fellowship. That's your word, koinonia. Have nothing in common. That's what koinonia is. Fellowship, in common. Have nothing in common with the unfruitful works of darkness. But what are you to do? Expose them. Expose them. Not pretend they're not there. Not ignore them. Not have them lead other people away and not be a voice for the truth. Let's confront the lies, okay? We must expose them. We must have the courage to expose false teachers, politicians, charlatans of all shapes and sizes, John to the religious establishment, who, were, who thought they were great. Because he tells them, don't fall back on Abraham being your father. So many times people will fall back on their, I went to Harvard and I know. I went to Yale and I know. I went to Michigan State, I kind of know. <laughs> Sorry if you're a Michigan State lover. John, to the religious established and to the world, the intellectual elites, don't fall back on your past. Don't fall your back on Abraham as your father. John tells these religious elites just like it is. Tells it like it is. Nothing soft here. He says right to their face, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And they knew exactly who he was referring to. Exactly. And might I add, this is a scary statement. It seems no fruit, no salvation. Now I was going to look for a little tree with a little shriveled up, little, little raisin grape on it. Look at every Christian if you're real, will bear some fruit. You're not bearing. It's a, it's a consequence of our relationship with God. It's the Spirit of God, natural effect on us, producing fruit in us. We do not produce anything. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I remain in him, he will bear much 
fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It is connected to the vine. The fruit is produced that way. It's not by us. It does not matter how religious someone appears. How much God talk and Jesus speak they use. And people will use a lot of it. If they are keeping people from the real Jesus, they must be exposed. They must be exposed. Tell people the truth, folks. The Pharisees were experts in Torah. Experts in the Old Testament scriptures. Experts in, 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 in the Pentateuch. Experts. They knew who Messiah was. They knew what he should look like when he was coming. John was introducing these people to the Messiah who they should have known was coming. Okay? But even John... Now think about this. Think about your life and think about what I'm going to say here. Even John, in a moment of duress, doubted. Even he doubted. John had a what I call a what's going on moment. What is going on? I'm in the wilderness. I'm preaching. They're coming out in droves. We're baptizing a lot of people. I'm introducing them to Jesus. And all of a sudden, he has a confrontation with Herod. He's thrown in prison. He's locked up behind bars. And you know what John does? He, he sends disciples. He sends disciples to Jesus. And he asks Jesus this question, are you really the Messiah? Now, you think the guy whose cousins, who's known him all of his life, would have a clue? Okay, but... That's what happens when you get under stress and strain. It is okay to doubt. And he went to the master and he asked, when we start doubting, go to the master. Go to the master. And he asked this question, are you the one? And if you are, why am I in prison? Because you're supposed to set the captives free. Why am I here? And Jesus said, oh, John. He tells him, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have the gospel preached. Oh, John, I am Messiah. And that message went back to John. Do you think that he wasn't just filled with power at that point? I bet he was. Listen to this, folks. All people will cross the what's going on river in your life. Now, your river can look just like this. Isn't that nice? We're in Wyoming. And we're just trolling down here, doing a little fishing. It's so calm and tranquil. This is our life. Isn't this where we want to live? Isn't that how we want our lives to go? But you know that doesn't happen that way. The next picture will show you what really happens. This has, can happen in a second. This happened to John. This happens to you. This happened to Johnny Erickson Tata, who at age 17, full of life, Beautiful young lady, dives into shallow water, fractures her neck, and lives as a quadriplegic for the rest of her life. She had a what's going on moment. Not only then, but a few years ago, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. She had another what's going on moment. Folks, life is full of what's going on moments. And what did John do? Turn to Jesus. What did Johnny do? Turn to Jesus. What are we to do? Turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. And I'm not, I'm not kidding you. That's that, what will take you out of your what's going on moment. It's the only thing that can rescue you. Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. In verse 11 and 12, we're going to compare John's uh, water baptism with Jesus' Holy Spirit baptism. 
I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Purification. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Talk speaks about separation. Let's develop this. John the Baptist was straightforward. There's nothing hidden. A baptism of repentance and preparation for Messiah. That is my job. He's baptizing with water. Now, this baptism was an outward sign of a commitment to Jehovah, a commitment to God, a commitment to Yahweh. It's an outward sign of that. An outward sign, let me say this, an outward sign means nothing then and now unless there's a heart change. Doing something religious means nothing if it is not associated with an inward change. We had baptism last week. Now our baptism last week is a picture of of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and the death, burial, and resurrection of the old us, and resurrection of the new us. If we haven't had a heart change, that thing doesn't mean anything. That's just going through the motions. I'm pretending. I'm pretending. So take that seriously. Doing something religious. Taking communion, something religious. If you don't have it with the right attitude, it means nothing. And I want to suggest to you something. I've mentioned this before. Remember... Simply believing facts, having a mental picture of what's going on, isn't enough. It has to be brought into you. It has to be processed into your being. Simply believing that Jesus died on a cross, was buried and rose again from the dead, and I have knowledge of that. That is not enough. And I've said this before. A proper view of believing is essential. A proper view. What is that? Believing is the Greek word pistio. We've been through this a million times. I bet you might even have that word memorized by now. And it means commit to, put your trust in, rely on Jesus as your Savior. It's personal. See, when I was a young boy, I went to a church and they told us Bible stories and that sort of thing. But they never told us about a personal relationship with Jesus. I didn't learn that until I was in the service. But having a personal, I had to personalize it. I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe he was buried. My mom told me all this stuff. He rose from the dead. But there was not a time when I personalized and had to say, Jesus, come into me. I believe that you are my Savior. And I'm committing myself to you. I'm relying on you. I'm following you. There's a big difference there. Jesus' baptism would be with the Holy Spirit and fire. The Holy Spirit was given when? At... Pentecost, tongues of fire, tongues of fire. And from Pentecost on, anyone who is born again into the family are baptized into the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says this, For by one Spirit we were, past tense, aorist tense, all baptized into one body. One Spirit, one baptism, one body, Time of salvation. Aorist tense. It happened in the past. It's retrospective. It's written in the passive voice. Simply means the subject performs the action of the verb. 
the subject receives the action of the verb. It's done to them by the Spirit of God. So, the baptism of the Holy Spirit gives you the power to do what God has called you to do. John had the Holy Spirit filling from the womb. We do things through the power of the Holy Spirit that was given at Pentecost. He empowers us to do the impossible. Acts 1.8, Jesus is telling these guys to wait till Acts chapter 2 when the Spirit will be poured out. And he said, you shall receive power. Remember that word? Dunamis. Dunamis, dynamite power. You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Epi, upon you. And you shall be my witnesses. Where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I will empower you. The Spirit of God will empower you to go from running and hiding to doing the impossible, to have the courage to stand up and speak the truth in a culture that doesn't love your Jesus. That takes courage, folks. That takes courage. For Jesus' rejectors, they will receive a baptism of the fire of judgment. How tragic. Everyone will one day be baptized, either by the Holy Spirit, now, believing, or later by the fire of God's judgment. If you don't think it's judgment, verse 12 makes it pretty clear. And John, judgment is clear when John speaks of a winnowing fan. Now, we don't know what a winnowing fan is. So what is a winnowing fan? Remember, it was took the wheat, threw it up in the air, and it displaced the wheat and the chafe. And we had a, have a picture here. This is actually done today in the East, and these people actually still do this. This has to do with separation. Separating the true from the false. The believers from the make-believers. The wheat and the tares. We have all those examples. There will be a time when that actually happens. God knows those who are His. The chaff will be burned with unquenchable fire, unending fire. And folks, this sounds to me like eternal punishment. There's this big thing in Christendom as we have become more Laodicean in our beliefs that God does not, there's not an eternal punishment. And I think that there is, a, I think the Bible is clear, there's an, there's an eternal punishment. The word is anios, eternal. Anios life that we get from, from, from serving Christ. Anios separation from God, eternal. They're the same, same word, same word. Some closing thoughts. You know this, God desires that everyone repent and turn to him and believe the gospel message. The heart of God has been turned and lived from the very beginning. From the very beginning. Ezekiel 18.23 Do I have any pleasure that the wicked should perish, but turn and live? That is the heart of our God. So many in our country, and not just our country, in our world, have bought into something. And it's called the zeitgeist spirit. The zeitgeist spirit. It, that means the spirit of the age. And we know in 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, that the God of this age, the zeitgeist spirit, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of Christ. How will they know unless someone tells them? How will they know unless the Holy Spirit takes the blinders off? How will they know unless the Holy Spirit softens a hard heart? How will they know? It takes a miracle of God to take someone from that darkness and blindness into life and light. A miracle of God. 
Satan's main tool to blind, his main methodology, you know it, he did it right in the garden, deception, with Adam and Eve, deceived them, deception. And I would suggest to you that Satan learns, just like we learn, he learns. And he's been honing his skills over these centuries. And now he has weapons at his disposal that are even great any time in the history of the world, and that is technology. And I will suggest to you, you will hear people say that technology is neutral, and I believe that it is, but its effect on humanity is not neutral. Why? Because we are depraved. We are depraved people. We have a tendency to drift towards the things that are dark and not right. Remember, never, never before could Satan, who is called the adversary, the devil, by the way, who's called the slanderer or divider. His, that word also means divider. Look what's happening in our world. Division, division, division. He uses these effective tools. The devil is a master divider. He divides families, friends, nations, teammates, churches, division, division, division. That's his calling card. One of Satan's, Satan's master tools to cause division, and I think this is happening more than any other time, you've heard this before, is distraction. Distracting people from the truth. His deception involves blinding the minds, numbing the mind. You don't think there's a strategy of addiction with video games, Facebook, computers, YouTube, Twitter, constant news. There's a strategy to occupy our minds, to keep us distracted. How about the legalization of marijuana? Now, you don't think that that's a, a method, a, a methodology that's being used to numb people's mind, to make them more compliant. What does marijuana do? Who cares? I don't care. Who cares? Oh, let's just lay back. Uh-uh. There's a strategy here. A strategy. Satan's goal is to keep people distracted and deceived. How did John the Baptist deal with the deception in his era with the Pharisees and the Sadducees? He saw the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He judged them by the word of God. They weren't following Torah. They weren't following the Pentateuch. They were not following the scriptures and knowing who the Messiah was. And then he acted. What was that? He simply, the truth in his culture, speaking the truth. Remember, Oz Guinness, one word of truth can dispel a world of lies. One word. You can influence a group. You can be in a group of people where everybody is speaking the lie and building on the lie. And one person stands up and that person can affect a large number of people within that group with a different view. That is why there is a method today of shutting down any contrary word that comes into our culture. On universities, they won't allow certain people to come and talk. They want to shut them down. They don't want the students to hear something because they know the psychology of this is that people are impacted when they hear something different. They can start processing differently. Very defined, very defined goals that they have. So he's see, judge, and acted. John did not equivocate. He did not pander. He did not smooth to gain favor. He exposed the darkness and simply 
spoke the truth, and so must we. The church has a mission, folks. It is to tell the people the truth about Jesus, the real Jesus, the real Jesus. And we must give them the gospel, the real gospel. You know, when someone gets saved, you have a compassion for the needy. You have a compassion for the needy. We are told in the church to help the poor and to feed and to clothe and that sort of thing. And that's a mission that we have. But that's not the focus of the church. The focus of the church is glorifying God, edifying the saints, and evangelizing the world. An offshoot of that, of our relationship with Christ, is helping other people. But I want to give a clarifier here. We are not to help the indolent. You know what that word is? The lazy. The ones who won't accept, don't want really help. Those who simply want their way. To help people to change their script. That is what we are to do. You were introduced to Jesus and it changed your script. It changed the way that you acted. It changed the way you responded in this world. That is what Jesus does. He changes us. We go into a different direction. Change your script to amend their life. But if people choose to stay in destructive, sinful behavior, this must not be enabled. Help, yes. Help anybody, yes. Enable, no. They have to want to change their life. It is not right to keep feeding people something that is going to be destroying them in order to keep them peaceful. Like give them more heroin or give them this or give them that. No. We want to take them out of that life, introduce them to the life saver, the Lord Jesus, and change the course. That is what we are to be involved in. Paul made it really clear in Galatians 1.8. If we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached, let him be anathema. Great word. Let him be accursed. Let him be destroyed. And then he repeats it. Holy Spirit emphasis. We are living, folks, in a world of fans of Jesus. John was not a fan of Jesus, but a follower. What's a fan? Go to the stadium. You saw it yesterday when Michigan trounced Washington. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> and you see the fans. The fans are watching the performance. When you go to many churches, you see fans watching the performance, making a judgment. Oh, I didn't like that play. I didn't like that talk. I didn't like what he said there. I mean, we're, they're, they're spectators. That's what a fan is. Yay, yay, yay. Ugh. You know, fans are up one second, down the next second. He's a hero. Trade him. He's no good. Okay? That's a fan. World religion are fans of Jesus. They look at him as a prophet, a wise sage, someone to learn from like Buddha. Oh, he's like Buddha. He's, a, he's a, just a different little Buddha. Oh, no, he's not. There are many fans of Jesus. Jesus is not looking for fans. He's looking for followers. Remember, that's what believing is. Commit to, put your trust in, follow the master. Follow the master. Fans cheerlead. They're in it for what they can get out of it. What I'm, entertainment I'm getting. That's what fans are. Very different. Followers follow, obey, serve the master. It's all about Jesus. There's a huge difference between a fan and a follower. The church in America, and 
I don't think I'm out on a limb here, but I believe the church in America is comprised of mainly fans. Mainly people watching the show. Spectators watching what's going on. Never taking up their cross. Never following. Never really getting in the game. See, Jesus wants you in the game. He wants you in the game. Luke, Luke, 5, Luke, Luke 9.23 says this, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. John the Baptist, folks, was a follower of Messiah. Not a fan of Messiah. There's a big difference. William Barclay has these words. And I'm going to tweak the word fan and follower with, with his words of disciple and follower in his, in his paragraph here. It is possible to be a fan of Jesus without being a follower. To be a camp fan without being a soldier of the king. To be a hanger-on in some great work pulling pulling one's weight. One, notice pulling one's weight. You're expected to pull your weight. Once someone was talking to a great scholar about a younger man, he said, so-and-so tells me that he, had, he was one of your students. The teacher answered devastatingly, he may have attended my lectures, but he was not one of my students. There's a world of difference between attending lectures and being a student of the master. There's a world of difference between attending lectures and being a student. It's one of the supreme handicaps of the church. Then in the church, there are so many distant fans of Jesus and so few real followers. And I would say, well said, William Barclay. Followers are not distracted. Followers are not deceived. Followers speak the truth even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's unpopular. That is what a follower does. A fan just cheers from the distance. Just cheers from the distance. And I would say this, be a follower, not a fan. Jesus expects this. In John 10, 27, you know this verse. It's one of my favorite. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. They're not cheerleading me. They're not saying, oh, you go get them, Jesus. You go do all the stuff. No, no. We're to be involved in this. Like John, be a follower and introduce your world to Jesus, the Master. Oh, he's worth it, folks. He's worth our all. Give him your all. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that you've given us to study the inerrant, infallible word of the living God. Thank you for the life of John the Baptist and what he has shown us. Thank you that he was not a compromiser. He wasn't a blender. He wasn't a make-believer, but he was a true follower of Messiah. May we be the same. May the words of our mouth, the meditation of our heart be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. I heard that this morning. Thank you for those words, Lord. You are our God. You are our Savior. You are our King. You are the one that we endeavor to serve. One of these days, Lord, we know this more than anything. This will all be over and we'll all be home. But while we're here, help us to carry out the mission that you have given each one of us individually. We have a, a people that we can impact. May we use our life and may we use our words in directing people to the Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.